0: he was held in love. He's held in love and nothing can separate him from the love that he was held in. And, and, and we are all held in this love and no incident or accident or collision could take him out of this love. And yet my eyes and my thoughts would serve as the judge and the jury stating that they knew, that I knew exactly what was happening right in front of me. Yet, somehow, in the face of what I was seeing and what I was knowing, there was even a higher sense, an absolute sense, a more true sense than my own perception.
1: Welcome to the Spirit Sisters Podcast. My name is Karina Machado, and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of sacred journeys, spirit encounters, near-death experiences, angels, mysteries, marvels and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary people reveal their extraordinary encounters. I acknowledge the Darawal people, who are the traditional custodians of the land of Sutherland Shire in Australia, where I live and record Spirit Sisters. And I recognise their continuing connection to lands, waters and community. I pay respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to Elders past, present and emerging. You're listening to Spirit Sisters. I'm your host, Karina Machado. I'm so happy that you've joined me today. Today I have a special guest with a wondrous story, or three, to share. It's no secret that I believe stories are medicine, and I chose to release this podcast today out of schedule. This is not the episode I'd edited and had ready to go for today, because I needed to hear this episode today. My guest is Lisa Anderson, and she's a storyteller extraordinaire. Lisa has a background in the corporate world and lives in beautiful Montana, USA with her family. She has a lifetime of mystical experiences behind her, stretching back to her childhood growing up on a ranch, feeling very close to God amid spectacular natural surrounds. But she's only recently decided it's the right time to begin sharing these stories with the world as Lisa told me after we'd stopped recording. These stories are not about me, she says. They're about the truth behind me. Lisa says that what's important right now is to share the hope that these stories offer to whoever is in need. Today this was me. Perhaps it's you too. What's welling up in me, says Lisa, is to release the sense of love in these stories And yes, love abounds in these yarns, as you're about to hear. In fact, it's the very agent of the miracles Lisa describes. Get ready for a captivating 90 minutes around the virtual fireside with the lovely Lisa Anderson, and you can be certain that she'll be back on the show very soon to share more experiences to enrich your heart and soul. Enjoy. Welcome to Spirit Sisters, Lisa.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I'm actually really excited to be here. And Korean, I mean, more than anything, I've been really excited to just talk to you. i really I really resonate with the podcast that I've heard you um, heard you uh, do in the in the things that I've heard you participate in. And for
1: me, I've just been really excited to talk to you.
0: So thank
1: you. Oh, thank you, Lisa. Well, I'm very excited to speak with you too. And I know that this is only the beginning of many conversations that we're going to have, all going well. And I'm absolutely thrilled to have met you over the airwaves. And you're all the way in beautiful Montana. And I've had the pleasure of seeing some of your Photos that you've shared about, uh, sorry, shared of the stunning landscape and some incredible sunrises and sunsets. It honestly looks absolutely heavenly there, literally.
0: It it literally is beautiful. It, It really is. We we live in a spot here that, for so, it's one of those places where the sky meets the earth. It's not as though there's an interruption. I look out one window and the fields just. Keep going right up into the clouds and somehow with the sun setting behind there, oh man, do we get skies. It's amazing. In fact, they call our state the Big Sky State. So that's uh, that's the nickname for the place that, that I live in. and it's perfect. It's very apropos.
1: Yes, well, it makes sense. And it's very, very beautiful. I've been thrilled to have a little glimpse of it. So Lisa, I've had the pleasure of corresponding with you in preparation for this conversation. And one of the things that you said was that you've had, and I quote, a very unusual life. Now, I first heard you sharing some of your uh, stories on NDE radio with the lovely Lee Whitting, and I've been listening to him for years. And I have to say, I was as wide-eyed as a little child listening. I was filled with wonder and a sense of awe and just this kind of expansion as I walked on my morning walk, listening to you share these stories. And I knew I have to get Lisa on the show. I, I want my audience to have this experience that I'm having now. So thank you so much for joining me on Spirit Sisters today.
0: Oh, Thanks, seriously. Thank you so much for asking.
1: It's really a treat such a treat for me. So (laughs) thanks, Karina. Thank you. Now we're going to dive straight into a story. We're just head first now. A thread that runs through your beautiful spiritual stories is the miracles that unfold when we tune into that still small voice inside. That intuition or guidance, there are various ways that we can describe this quiet voice. But that's the main thing, I think, or one of its key characteristics is that it is so quiet and so easily drowned out by distractions, by the world. So, Lisa, I'd love if you'd start by sharing one of the stories that really uh, is such a testament to this power of the inner voice, and that is the story of the man on the Harley-Davidson. Hmm.
0: <laughs> this one's magic. It's Wonderful. Um, Yeah, I would love to share that story. And I did. I shared that with Lee Whitting uh, on the IONS broadcast and uh, was so, so thrilled to have an opportunity to tell it to a wider audience. I've just not shared it much over the years. And there's something that came about for me in this story that really has changed how I look at life. So we live here, as, as I mentioned, we live here in Montana and my father had for the first time rented a little property in the northern part of the state. And <laughs> what I find so interesting about locals is oftentimes you live in the state, but you don't actually, we had not taken a lot of advantage of going and seeing different places. So this was really actually kind of new for us, but we were heading up north to one of the most beautiful parts of Montana. It's up near Glacier Park. And you drive along the Mission Mountains and just these incredible lakes, Flathead Lake and Swan Lake. And we were heading up north. Um, it was over the Fourth of July weekend. And my husband and I were in our vehicle with four small kids. We had our two children and my brother's children. And as we were going, my parents were driving ahead of us in the vehicle. And it was just one of those absolutely gorgeous days. The sky was rich, rich blue, and the sun was gold and light, and the trees are very, very tall there. The pines are very tall, so the light was pouring in through these pine trees, and it was just a beautiful drive, and as we turned a corner and were headed down a long stretch of road between a tiny little town uh, called Ferndale, it's it's really not much more than a storefront or two, on our way to uh, the area of Big Fork. We just found ourselves alone on the stretch of highway, and I was driving, and my folks, as I mentioned, were in front of us, and I could see a, a gentleman approaching on a Harley Davidson, you know. And as I, as I recall, there's you know nothing at all extraordinary or out of the normal about that, except that as soon as we laid eyes on this man approaching, I saw a doe, a deer, literally walk up off the side of the road and. And she stepped immediately out in front of his motorcycle and he struck it point blank. In fact, he didn't, I don't believe he even saw the deer. And upon striking this animal, his motorcycle flipped end over end. The deer was immediately terminated, destroyed, and the motorcycle was Flipping and rolling and tossing through through the air and all over the highway pieces of it were breaking off as it's just tumbling. And this man was thrown an incredible distance. And um, we watched him literally fly from his motorcycle and tumble a great distance down the road, uh, at which point my parents and my husband, I immediately pulled over to the side of the road to stop and help this man. And he landed in an incredibly awkward position just outside our windows of the car. Now, both my husband and my dad jumped out of the vehicles and ran over and were crouched down next to him, tending to him. And I turned and looked, and our children in the back of the car were just aghast, you know, looking through the windows, staring at this scene, which was really graphic and and very hard to look at. And it occurred to me immediately to... Uh, put on a little movie or something to help distract the children, which I did. But Karina, as I turned around and sat back in the seat, I have to be honest, you know, just the shock of witnessing this this event and the, oh, just the scene that was unfolding right outside my, my driver's side window. I was incredibly rattled. I found myself and like my hands were shaking and my stomach felt like it was turning and I was trying to get a deep breath. I, I couldn't breathe. And, and I was trying to just, as I was trying to just uh, gather myself, I noticed in the vehicle ahead of me, I could see my mother's head tip. And I knew in that moment, oh, I could tell that my mom was praying. And I thought, oh, oh, of course, you know, that's something that I can do. I can pray. You know, I can pray about this. And really, if nothing more than to just help settle myself down and get a deep breath. And I began to say a prayer that I knew. Um, The Lord's Prayer is the one that came to mind. And I just began sort of audibly saying it out loud in the car. And again, trying to settle myself down. And as I'm doing that, my dad and my husband leave this man. And they each spread out to help direct traffic around this incident. And as they, um, as they were doing that, I'm thinking to myself, I know that I cannot be a lot of help in this situation. I don't know CPR. In fact, I had chosen intentionally to not take it when I was younger. And at that time, I was mentally beating myself up for not having taken it. And I thought, as I was just you know, reciting this prayer out loud, I just thought, all right, Father. If there's anything I can do to be helpful, I'm listening. I'm listening. And I'll surrender and I'll do it. But please do not ask me to approach this man. I don't think I had it within me to approach him. It was just the scene was too hard to look at. And uh, he appeared to be, he was motionless and he didn't appear to be, uh, he clearly wasn't moving at all, but he was in a position that was so awkward and so... Hard to look at. He looked as though he was badly, badly hurt and broken. But as I was praying in the car and trying to collect my thoughts, I, I glanced across the road, and no sooner than I had, I had just said that out loud, that, that I would be of help, I see this vehicle entering the highway in the midst of this accident. It's a truck. It's a, it's a larger truck, and I can see very clearly that the driver of this truck does not see the man in the road. I can see that as this vehicle is entering the road, the driver is looking to his left and he can see the deer, which is clearly dead in the road. And he can see the motorcycle, which is in pieces. And as he's looking over his left shoulder, he's just naturally rolling to his right. And I leap out of the car and run over to help direct this man around, this vehicle around this man. And I'm certain that he would eventually see this man, but I'll be very honest, he was cutting it very, very close, dangerously close. You know, I, I, I'm i touching literally the grill of his vehicles. He's driving around me and this man is now immediately behind me. And I just took a deep breath. I could not, I could not turn and look. I just took a deep breath knowing that this gentleman was behind me and I looked straight up and I just said, Father, what next? And no sooner than I said that, it felt as though somebody pushed in on the backs of my knees because I literally, my knees buckled and I collapsed to the ground. And I found myself kneeling immediately adjacent to this man. And with the way he had been laying with his head and his arms folded underneath his body, I could still, I could make out his ear. And upon seeing his ear, it's hard to explain why I knew this, but the second I saw his ear, I had a knowing that I needed to speak to him. So I I, I leaned out over him and I was careful not to touch him. I placed my hands on either side of his body and I just placed my mouth right over top of his ear. And I took a deep breath and I said, Father, if there's something you need me to say, you speak. And just then I felt what felt like a warmth come over me. It felt like a ray of love. And I recall very clearly just taking a deep breath and saying, saying words that honestly were more tender than, than I think I would have said myself. But the first words I heard come out of my mouth were, sweetheart, I'm here with you and you're doing just great. And I'm here with you and you're doing just great. And you are held, you are held in love You are held in God's love, and nothing can separate you from this love. No incident or accident or collision. Nothing can separate you from this love of God. And you are whole, and you are perfect, and you are untouched. And I am here with you, and you are doing just great. And as I'm speaking to him like this, my father sees me speaking to him and comes running up. And he looks at me and he says, is that man talking to you? And I smile at my father to reassure him. But I shake my head, no, no, dad. He's, he's not speaking to me, <laughs> I say. But he's doing all right. He's doing all right. And dad goes, huh. And he turns around and he runs back to keep directing traffic. And I keep speaking to this man. You are whole and you are perfect and you are untouched and i'm here with you and you're doing just great and after a while i look up and i can see in the distance way down the road that there are lights little glints of red and blue red and blue flashing on the horizon and i can tell there's a there's a fire truck coming and as this fire truck is approaching and i'm speaking to this man i hear this man go oh and he exhales <laughs> And it startles me so much that I jump. I was just like, oh, oh, you know, I just literally, it scared me. I jumped. And I just hadn't heard a thing from him. And as I'm trying to speak to him going, oh, hey, you know, uh, hello, hello, I'm here with you. The fire truck is upon us and this fire truck is coming in. It's These fire trucks are very large and its siren is so loud. And it just drowns out everything. In fact, I was a little concerned with the speed that it was entering. The scene that I was wondering if it was even really going to stop. But he does. And this fireman you know, uh, uh, jumps out of the fire truck. And behind him is an ambulance. And there are two men in the ambulance. And I can see that my father is trying to explain to these men what has happened. But they don't they don't need to hear it they can obviously assess what's going on but they don't want to hear it they just need us to hop in our vehicles and and vacate the scene they they need us to move on and honestly there's a lot that I had wanted to share but we just weren't given the opportunity so my husband jumps in the driver's seat and my father in the in the car ahead of us and I get in the passenger seat and as we slowly try to re-enter the highway and, and start to drive away, I look back over my shoulder and I see that this man has—he—he he sits up, and as he sits up, the EMT has a light, and he's looking in his eyes, and this man is sitting up, and this—and the EMT is speaking to him, and I say to my husband, "It's my gosh, he's—he's he's sitting up." <laughs> I mean. We are just stunned. We can't believe what we're, what we're seeing. But we, we begin to leave the scene. And that's the last thing that I saw. But I tell people that the story is, is very miraculous for me. And, and that in and of itself is, is beautiful. But that, to me, was not the miracle. Because what was about to unfold after that remains, it was just so surprising to me. It just remains one of the most remarkable things. So we continue down the road to this place we've never been before. We go through a number of intersections, take right turns and left turns, and we find ourselves driving down closer to the lake. And again, as I mentioned, it's the 4th of July weekend. There's people pulling boats everywhere. There's children letting off smoke bombs in yards and things. And, and there's just all kinds of just brimming with activity. But as we are driving down through these kind of uh, vacation or residential neighborhoods, my father is looking at the map, I can see him holding it up in the car, and and we are clearly lost. And for another 15 or even 20 minutes, we're driving through all these various neighborhoods, taking all these wrong turns, you know, and I can see my mom in the car ahead of us, you know, literally pointing like, come on, just pull over. Let's just ask for directions. I can see her signaling, you know, and so my father does. He pulls over. Onto the wrong side of this residential neighborhood. And they're just again, there's people everywhere. And my husband and I pull him right behind him and we hop out of the vehicle because my dad is got this little map in his hand. He's just gonna approach the next person that walks by and ask for directions. And <laughs> we just wanted to listen in because we sort of felt like maybe dad could use a hand finding this place, you know. So we wanted <laughs> to hear the directions. And as we're standing there, this nice gentleman approaches and and my father gets directions. It's very simple. We were very close. But as we're standing there, I feel this overwhelming sense. I mean, this is this is an unsuppressible sense just welling up inside of me to tell this man what we just saw. And as I as I start to speak, I say to this gentleman, I say, Sir, I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I feel the need to tell you that. We just witnessed this accident, and I glance over at my father who looks at me like, oh, geez, (laughs) no, you know, don't tell this now, you know. But I I just kind of override him, and I say to this man, you know, again, I'm I'm not certain why I'm telling you this, but I feel the need to tell you that we just witnessed an incident. We saw a man on a Harley Davidson, and he struck a deer. He he didn't have a a, a helmet, and he he flew from his bike. And as I start to tell this man about the story, he holds up his hand. And he silences me, (laughs) just silences me. And I stop talking. He doesn't say a word. And he puts his hand down and he walks away. And I'm watching him walk away. He travels down the sidewalk just a few steps and then he takes a right and he walks up a different sidewalk into the building that we're parked out in front of. And I'm just standing there looking at my feet, refusing to look up, just kicking the dirt like, oh, geez, I don't know what's happening here. And, you know, are we supposed to wait or have I offended him? You know, I didn't know what to do. And Mm. in just a short moment, he comes walking out of this building with a woman under his arm and they're chatting and laughing. And he walks up to me and he holds his hand back up his finger and he looks at me and he says, as he points to this woman, Tell her what you just told me. And I go, oh, well, we were just driving outside of Ferndale. We saw a man on a Harley. He didn't have a helmet. He hit a deer. And I start to tell her this story. And she literally slaps her face with both hands and gasps and goes, oh, that's my husband. And she turns around and she runs straight back into that building, at which point this man, just leaves and continues walking down the sidewalk. And my husband and my father and I are standing there going, "Uh, what? So we just, without saying a thing, walk back to our vehicles, get in the car and we find our way to this little little, uh, condominium that we'd rented and we had a lovely weekend. My father had rented this property for three different times that summer and, and the, the second time that we came back for a visit for a, for a weekend, it would have been probably a few weeks later, I found myself I couldn't get this man out of my my head. You know, I tried to research the newspapers. I didn't see anything in any of the articles or any of the police reports. And I asked my mom, I just asked her, I said, Do you would you be up for calling that building and seeing if anybody there knows you know what happened to this fella she said yeah sure I'll do that she puts me on speaker and she dials this place and we get a woman who answers the phone and we tell her my mom tells her hey you know we witnessed an incident an accident a few weeks ago and involved a man on a Harley Davidson and I don't know if you know anything about this but we would love to know how he's doing or if anybody has any updates how he is this gal goes oh Yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. She says, uh, his wife works here. Let um, Let me put you on hold. I'll go ask her. She's gone for a while. And she comes back. And she goes, okay, well, I just talked to her. And she said, you know, after she spoke to you, she tried to call her husband, but he didn't answer his phone. And not really knowing where to go, she just went home thinking maybe she would check her answering machine, maybe there'd be messages. But she really didn't know where to start. So she just started by going home. And when she got home, she found her husband at home. And she said, wait a minute, what what are you doing at home? I weren't you just in it, weren't you just in an accident? And he says, Yeah. I was, whew, yeah, I was just in an accident. And she said, why aren't you at the hospital? And he goes, well, I'm I'm fine. I don't need to go to the hospital, I'm just fine. She says, you're fine? What do you mean you're fine? And she says, get get in the car. And she, she puts him in the car and she races him to the ER. And this gal says, a gal's talking on the phone, she says, you know, they 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 test him for everything and she says you know they they test him for a concussion because you know he wasn't wearing a helmet and no he doesn't have a concussion and they test him for broken bones he doesn't have broken bones and they test him for things like you know internal bleeding and things like that and he, no internal bleeding and she said you know uh you know he's just fine there's nothing wrong with him but she said you know the funniest thing about it is that he didn't have anything on his head and He just had a lightweight shirt on and his arms were exposed, his hands, his knuckles. She said, they checked him. He didn't have a scratch on him. She said, he was completely untouched. Now, my mom and I, (laughs) you know, we just said, thank you. And we hung up the phone. And, you know, I've thought about this a lot. Over the years, I've thought about this. I've thought about how many times we could have pulled over and asked for directions, you know, and how many wrong turns we took in that 15 or 20 minutes as we drove in circles. And how many people there were out and about that day. And yet somehow, we were led to drive right up to a man. And with very few words, this man knew exactly who we were talking about and knew that there was a woman in the building that we were parked out in front of who would want to know what we had to say and i've asked myself why is that you know why why, why did we get lost and <laughs> take all these wrong turns and find her you know why is that and upon reflecting about that i've thought about it i thought you know what if she what if we found her? You know, we were led to find her, and we told her the story, and she raced home and found her husband at home, in shock, and she would race him to the ER and and, and save him, you know, save his life. Or what if we, uh, you know, told this woman what we saw, and she went straight to the ER and was able to say goodbye to him before he passed away, you know? Either of those two situations would make sense to me. But the truth was, he was completely fine. He was entirely untouched. So what was the purpose in us finding her? And what has occurred to me so plainly is that it was important that we knew the outcome of this story. And it was important that we knew what happened so that we could share this outcome with others. And I'll tell you, Karina, that after the fact, both my father... And my husband approached me individually and told me something. They both said they were each quite sure that that man was not alive. The time that they spent crouched with him, tending to him when I was putting movie on for the children in the car, they were certain he was not alive. Well, for whatever reason, and I can't explain this, it never even occurred to me that he wasn't alive. And honestly, he could have just been unconscious. But it never occurred to me that he was not alive. The reason that I feel so impacted and so changed by this experience, and this is the piece that I have kept within me throughout the course of my life since this time, is that I witnessed a man hitting this, hitting this deer. And we were traveling at highway speeds. The highway speeds were about 55, 60 miles an hour. And I saw him fly through the air without a helmet. And I saw him tumble on the pavement. And he tumbled, honestly, 30 plus yards, 40 yards on the pavement at highway speeds without a helmet. And I know, my mind has been educated to know what the consequences are when a human being hits the pavement at those speeds. And we watched him tumble. In fact, both my mother and I very clearly recall that time slowed down. I saw everything in slow motion when he flew by our vehicle. He was a bald man and he had an American flag bandana tied around his forehead and sunglasses on and he, he wore a white t-shirt with a red flannel shirt that was unbuttoned but rolled at the elbows. And I could see that he was wearing jeans and boots and a belt. And I watched him hit that ground and there's no reason why he shouldn't have had scratches all over him at very, very least. But when I've reflected on this incident over and over, what I realized is that my eyes were a witness to an incident that was very graphic and very violent. And my thoughts were clear about what was, what was happening and unfolding outside my window. I mean, there's, I was shaking and my stomach was turning and I, I couldn't catch my breath. And I didn't want to approach this body or this man. But I can say that there was something that came forward, a truth in the words that were shared, a truth that when I <laughs> turned and looked up towards God and just said, what next? You know, use me and I'm willing to be used. But my gosh, please do not make me approach this man. It's its too much for me to handle. And soon enough, my knees buckle and I am there, right right kneeling, right adjacent to him thinking, okay, and there's his ear, and Father, if you want me to talk, I'll talk. And the words that came forward, there, there was a truth in these words. There was a truth in the words. He was held in love. He's held in love, and nothing can separate him from the love that he was held in. And, and, and we are all held in this love, and no incident or accident or collision could take him out of this love. And he was whole and perfect and untouched in this love. We all are. And yet my eyes and my thoughts would serve as the judge and the jury stating that they knew that I knew exactly what was happening right in front of me. (laughs) Yet, somehow, in the face of what I was seeing and what I was knowing, there was even a higher sense an absolute sense, a more true sense than my own perception. And as I follow that line of thinking in my life, there are times when I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when things look very obviously one way, you know, seem very dark and impossible, I turn immediately and think, no, wait, in the face of this, there is something more absolute, more true. (laughs) And I've trained myself to just turn in a moment and go, Father, show me. Show me what is more true. Show me what is more real. And the things that, that unfold in my life, and just knowing in a moment that there is something higher and something more real that I can turn and reach
1: for, It'll be shown, and it's remarkable. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for sharing that story and for all of those beautiful reflections. There's um, so much that comes to me as you're uh, unspooling so beautifully that absolutely extraordinary experience, and you tell it in such a captivating way. One of the things that strikes me, of course, is that, knowing so it's interesting to hear that after after your father and your husband separately approached you and said look we were convinced that he had passed and that was actually obvious to me listening from the beginning because they were with him and then they left him to direct the traffic so i thought to myself oh they mustn't have thought he was there was any chance of saving this poor man's life and you didn't have that you didn't have that and and we're about to go into more of your story to share why you have this ability and you use the word training or you trained your mind or somehow you were you were supported in learning this new way this this alternative way to look at life and we're going to go into that but it, it also strikes me that what you say is the foundation of many spiritual teachings one of which is one that I I read, I, a lot of my listeners know, I, I read A Course in Miracles, which is this absolutely beautiful self-study spiritual text. And it's not alone in saying that the world as we see it is an illusion and that there is this greater truth. And by illusion, that's not to denigrate or downplay the beauty and our love for the people and the planet and nature and everything that we have here. I've read that the word illusion in truth means something that isn't as it seems. It isn't as it seems. So your hmm. story and your way of looking at life really <coughs> illustrates that. But w- the astonishing thing about you is that you seem, no, not seem, you have, you have uh, somehow alighted on a way of, of actually remembering this in everyday life. And in cases like this where many of us will, would have fallen to pieces at the sight of this poor broken man on the road, you know, if not clearly deceased or very close to it. But you were able to tap into that knowledge. Now, I want to um, go into the rest of your story to try to understand how it was that you came to be able to do this. I was thinking that maybe we could begin with, uh, if you wouldn't mind, Lisa, just sharing a little bit about your childhood and when and how you first understood that there was this greater truth, this or we could call it a spirit world, and that you were indeed connected to it.
0: Yeah, there's a lot, <laughs> and there's a couple of stories in there that I will share another day that are are um, are, are big. But okay, um, I'll, yes. I'll keep I'll hold you to
1: that. <laughs>
0: <Sure>. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I was very well supported as a child. I I and I uh, this is what I mean by that. Um, very spiritual family my father is not at all religious but he's one of the most beautifully loving really truly uh he's just known wide and far for how for how much he loved and how beautiful his spirit was and how joyful and funny and generous he was um but he 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 was magnificent magnificent fellow and And my mom is amazing. She's a remarkable, remarkable woman. She's absolutely hilarious. I mean, genius, brilliant, funny, and (laughs) wears like a sailor and is as spiritual as they come. I mean, there's a combination for you. She's beautiful and just a riot. And some of her best friends in the world are, are children and her grandchildren and kids of that age. I mean, she's just lively and so brilliant and fun. Um, I have grandparents um, on both sides, but uh, absolutely beautiful souls. But my mother's parents, very spiritual, very prayerful, very, very prayerful. My grandfather recently passed, and honestly, it was, it was of his own choosing. He, he was ready, and he just simply declared in his 94th year that he missed his Barbara, and it was time— to go. And he had read the Wall Street Journal every day to that point. He played football in in college with uh, Joe Paterno at Brown University. He's a very, very athletic man and very intelligent man and never took an aspirin in his life. But when he knew it was time to go, he just simply declared, it's time I go see my Barbara. And the most beautiful two weeks unfolded with him just eating a little less and sleeping a little more. And then a remarkable experience at the end, but I was surrounded by people who were who were really quite prayerful and spiritual and elevated in their in their being really remarkable and and I say that in a very light way, of course, there's all kinds of highs and lows, but I will tell you that as a child, I felt very close to God, very close in fact <laughs> I'm from Montana, and I grew up in a tiny little town in a beautiful valley, oh. This valley is rimmed in gorgeous mountains, snow-capped peaks with a wide, beautiful river that flows right through the center of this valley. In fact, I always think as I crest the pass on the south end of this valley, which extends for about 100 miles, how it just feels as though I'm peering into the Serengeti. You know, it's just so lush and beautiful and there's far more cattle than people. I think there were 800 people in my entire valley where I grew up. It' was a beautiful, beautiful place, but uh, my father was a hired hand on a ranch, a very dear friend's own ranch, and we lived on that ranch back when the west was was rough you know working on a ranch it was tough. These men spent a lot of time on horseback in the winter, and there was always a lot of hard work to do, and it was it was not easy. You know, our only source of heat was was wood fired, and frankly, if the fire went out, the house would be brutally cold, and there'd be snow cast through the cracks in the glass and the door in the morning, just blown into drifts. Our tiny little home—it was a bunkhouse that had actually had an interim turn as a as a place where they kept cattle. There were some four H steers. that lived in this very structure that we ended up living in as a child. But um, I would go for walks on this ranch. This ranch is incredible, incredible property. It had Native American burial grounds, so they assume based on pictographs. And there actually was a burial on that property that I consider to be very sacred. The researchers and tribes came and took a look, and they said the way this woman had been buried, clearly she was of significance to the tribe. And there were bells and beads that the birds had cast about this, this property. It's just mystical. But I'd go for long walks as a child up in those hills, and we had snakes and coyotes and things, and I was never really afraid. It was just I'd go for these long walks, and I would talk out loud to God and felt very close to God. And I can share that much of my childhood, I I was quite sensitive. I was sensitive to animals and weather and sensitive to oh i could I could see things and i I always wondered why I could see certain things that my parents didn't quite see i I could tell that, for instance, my mom's best friend was expecting, and I knew what she was having. I knew she was having a baby boy long before they ever disclosed to anyone they were pregnant, and I couldn't understand why they couldn't see that. but I felt very connected, and I'll tell you in fact i I would have you know. Premonitions and and I could hear dialogues. Uh, you know, I'd speak to God. I could hear hear thoughts and words back, and and reoccurring dreams and things like that. But growing up on the ranch was very. It was it was just being immersed in nature. Absolutely beautiful, wide wide open, thousands of acres. And I spent my days out in it. So I don't know. I would say that you know the combination of all of that led me to be open to. Understanding on a deeper sense, a, 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 a truer nature of life, a deeper, deeper sense or nature to life. And, and I was raised with a lot of my grandparents' thoughts. My grandmother was a very powerful, prayerful metaphysician. She loved the Bible and studied it. And I know a, a handful of stories from the Bible and, and, and quotes. But these are things that I would take very literally, very literally. One of my favorite statements in the Bible is, you know, uh, the kingdom of heaven is in the midst of thee. The kingdom of heaven is in the midst of thee. And I think to myself, really? Okay. If I can't see it, at very least, I'll know it. (laughs) Mm. And that is something that, that stays with me. Is oftentimes just being still and knowing that, which is yet another statement in the Bible, I believe Jesus says, be still and know the truth, or be still. Be still and know that I am, actually. That's a statement from God. Be still and know that I am. And Jesus says, know the truth and the truth shall set you free. In each of these statements, without being real religious, because I'm not, each of these statements, I just choose to take quite literally and just be still. I know that this sense of God is right there.
1: Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That certainly does give us a lovely understanding of of how you've been able to uh, grasp these greater truths that so many of us struggle with accepting and putting into practice. But I think the word there is acceptance. You have an innate acceptance of this truth that perhaps our eyes don't show us. But you have this understanding that it's there, and it seems Lisa, listening to you, that miracles unfold from that knowing. And there's a there's a story about you as a young woman moving to San Francisco, and uh, and you met a, a beautiful friend of yours. Tell us about this time because I know that your connection to understanding your intuition and the power of the that holy voice within, that true guidance, it it led you to some amazing places and some amazing occurrences at this time of your life.
0: Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I would say that's very true. And, yeah, I would love to tell you those stories. Hmm. That's interesting. So I, I will tell you about that. So San Francisco was a very, very magical phase for me, a very magical time in my life, and I was only there for just about two years but I had gotten a degree in college. I had gone to school and studied business. And my first love was art. My first love, i had always wanted to study fine art, but my father had dappled in galleries and over the years. And he would, he would always say, kid, look, uh, if you're going to be an artist, you need to learn how to sell your art first. So get a business degree and then go study art. And like, All right. So I'll do that. And, uh, Once I had uh, gotten that degree, I was working here in Montana, in in, uh, Bozeman, and I was working as a waitress. And I recall all in one week, I had this wonderful series of openings. And these series of openings happened, and I just have lived my life in a way to go well. (laughs) When you see these things open, you got to just move right through them. And I recall one day working in a restaurant. And I had some friends, a couple friends of my parents come in, and they were from the San Francisco Bay Area. And they, over the course of lunch, as I was waiting tables, said, hey, if you ever think about coming to California, we would love to have you stay with us. I was like, wow, what a generous offer. Jeez, thanks, guys. You know. And immediately after that, I received a phone call from a friend of mine who's this beautiful photographer and a wonderful artist. And she was working on a movie that was coming to Montana and they needed to have apartments and condominiums to rent for their crew and they needed furnished condominiums and apartments. And I actually owned one all through school. I'd worked uh, multiple jobs, oftentimes two jobs at a time. And I had managed to save a little money to put down on the apartment I'd been renting when it came available for sale. I, I just bought it in college and, uh, was able to they were willing to pay a, um an amount each week for the rental of that uh, little condominium I owned that was the same amount that most properties in Bozeman were renting for each month so that was a, it was a good monthly sum to help me offset the really expensive rents in San Francisco and at the same time I had just followed followed the nudges and looked up, uh, some art schools in San Francisco. And there was one that stood out and I reached out to them and asked them if, if I could apply to come down to school, which was going to start in just a couple of weeks. And they said, no, that their admissions were closed, but they asked me to send them a portfolio, which I did. And they accepted me. <laughs> so all of a sudden, you know, my property is rented and I have this little stream of income, um, and I'm headed to San Francisco. I'm staying with some friends. And I would tell these friends because it was always intended that I would find an apartment in the city. And I, I told them that <laughs> I wasn't i wasn't having any luck. I was looking at ads. And each time I'd find an ad and go find an apartment, the apartment was either too, way too expensive or they had received, you know, 10, 12, 15 applications that already rented it out to somebody. And I couldn't get an apartment. It's very difficult to do. So I just knew that. I wanted to live in one of the most beautiful neighborhoods in the city. I just knew that. So I would tell them, I'm going to go walk through some of the most beautiful neighborhoods in the city. And somebody is going to approach me and tell me about an apartment that is not listed for rent, but is available. <laughs> and I I want to not only live in one of these beautiful neighborhoods, but I would love to find an apartment that I could afford that has a view of the bay and Parking, which was like gold bullion, is so hard to find parking in that city. And I would just, you know, tell these sweet people that I was staying with that these were this is what I was doing. When they asked me, you know, how are you? How's the apartment search going? I would tell them this, and they would just look at me like, "Oh gosh, you know, this poor girl from the country." Yeah, this is that's really sweet of you. You know, it's very nice, but geez, let us know how it's going. But I hope at some point you actually find an apartment. you have. But I did. I walked through Pacific Heights. It was just beautiful. And I'd walk through Cow Hollow and Russian Hill. Oh, my goodness. And I found myself after a week or two. I was walking around Coit Tower, which is absolutely beautiful. I was just taking in all the beautiful, beautiful buildings. And as I was walking down, I think it's Montgomery Street, a couple was walking and they just approached me. And they said, can we just ask you? are you looking for an apartment to rent? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, completely expecting this. I mean, I was completely expecting this. So I just said, yes, why I certainly am. And they said, well, we know of an apartment that hasn't been rented in years and he hasn't, they haven't raised their rent in years. In fact, they haven't raised their rent in seven years. And it's got this beautiful view of the bay and it's got parking and we'd love to show you where it is and, and tell them about you if you're interested. Now, I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to see this. Well, they, they explained to me that the reason that the property had not been rented was that there was a family there, a family that had, now that I think about it, the family had originally immigrated from Italy years and years and years ago. And this was a home that they had lived in and had been handed down through the years. But one of the siblings that owned this home, uh, his name was Joe. And Joe lived in the home with his mother for for years and years. And Joe had a mental disability. He was a very sweet, a very kind man, very trusting. But they wanted to be sure that whoever rented the property below his apartment in this home, because they had converted the home into two properties, they wanted to be sure that whoever rented that would be patient with Joe and would be kind towards him because he 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 was very trusting, but he He needed someone who would be caring and understanding toward him. So uh, I I was given the opportunity to rent this. I met his brother Vince and Vince was (laughs) just darling and he rented me this apartment.
1: So Lisa, I know that there was a lovely story that I heard and I can't quite remember the specifics of it now, but there was a moment that you had the opportunity to really help your, um, well, he's not really a flatmate, he doesn't live with you, but uh, Joe who lived upstairs. Tell us about what happened there.
0: Yeah, I would love to. In, as you're speaking to me, I'm recalling that the thing that I find really interesting about how all of this story was with this time in the city unfolded is there was something about being led to the city and all of the openings that happened and having these moments where I was invited to come stay with friends and getting into art school under the wire and things just remarkable these occurrences. But I realized in reflecting on that that it's it really wasn't just for my own benefit. You know, yes, I was approached by these lovely people and they just out of the blue told me about this wonderful apartment. But there was something about the way that time in the city and honestly I think the way a lot of the experiences in life unfold that benefits more than just just my own perspective. And having Having lived in the city for a couple of years, I did go to art school for, uh, for through that time and worked two different jobs. But my father had an employment opportunity for me back home, and really wanted me to come back. And nearing the end of that two years, I had agreed to come back and work for him. And what occurred just before I was I was getting ready to head home it was kind of interesting, and it did involve Joe. And it seems as though it. <laughs> When I look at it, it almost ties it all together in a way that seemed uncanny or somehow intended that I would be the person that lives below him. But I was getting ready for work, Karina, one day, and I was just making my bed. And I heard like a thought, just simply like a thought within Go check on Joe. Now, I didn't really check on Joe throughout the time that I lived there, but I would see him from time to time. I would always say hi. I was very kind with Joe. He was a very sweet man. We had a lot of lovely chats out in the little back patio area. But the idea came to go check on Joe. It was a new idea. I hadn't really heard something like that before. And I thought to myself, oh, yeah, sure. You know, sure, I'll check on Joe. But I've got to finish making my bed and grab some stuff. and I'm heading to work, so I'll do it when I'm on my way out. And this idea just pressed on me again. Go check on Joe. And I thought, well, yeah, sure. (laughs) I'll check on Joe. I was just about to leave. I got some other things I got to do and I'll finish those up. And when I head out, I'll check for Joe, check on Joe. And it's like, no, I just immediately, the thought came again, go check on Joe. And I thought, oh, oh, okay. (laughs) I need to pay attention. I need to listen as these thoughts come. So I did. I just stopped what I was doing. I stopped making my bed. I didn't gather anything else up. And I began to look for him and, and I found him outside and it appeared as though he was really struggling. He he was down on the ground and trying to sit up, and he couldn't speak very well. And I would, I would later learn that he was having a, a stroke. In fact, they believed he was having a, like a massive stroke, and he, he couldn't speak. And I ran to the neighbor's home, uh, the folks that had helped me find this apartment, and told them that I needed their help. And Linda stayed and made a phone call to an ambulance, and Pat came out with me, and we were with Joe. And as the ambulance arrived, it took just a bit, but as the ambulance arrived, I needed to get to work. And I I said goodbye and I, I ran down the hill and went to work. I worked as a hostess in a restaurant down in Washington Square. And I got off my shift very late that night and came home and was really fretting, you know, just not knowing how he was and just really wanted to know. And I couldn't get him out of my thoughts. So it just occurred to me that I knew the hospital that Linda had called and I thought, well, Let's look it up and and I'll walk across the city and and I'll see if I can go go see them. So I did. I, I grabbed some books. I think I grabbed the Bible and some spiritual texts and it was in the middle of the night and I looked up the address of this hospital. Uh, I believe it was Saint something I think it uh, Saint. Germain, if I'm correct, but I'm not entirely sure. And I walked across the city in the night and I got to this hospital and at this point it's probably like 12:30 at night. And I recall walking up, it's all lit, I walk up the front steps, there's no one at the front desk. And I'm looking around and kind of waiting, and I see these big gray doors that you can push open. To my left, it's quite dark behind them, and I, I push the doors open, and I'm like, hello, you know, hello, is somebody here? And there's two hallways, and one has a light at the end of the hall, so I just assume the light's on, somebody's there. So I just kind of walk down that hallway, hello, you know, and I get to the end of the hallway, and it is clear, that I've entered a room that appears to be like an ICU. And I know I'm not supposed to be there, but I can see in the corner that there's Joe. So I look around and I kind of take a deep breath and I walk in and there's a man immediately on my left. He's an elderly gentleman and he's sitting up in bed and he appears to be quite strained. Um, He's breathing, but he's sleeping, but he just seemed quite elderly. And next to him, Uh, there's another partition, and there's a a young man, very young, he's probably in his young 20s, and he's entirely nude, but he appears to be covered with burns. And to my right, there's another gentleman who's older, he's asleep as well. And then there's Joe. And I'm not supposed to be there. But I walk into the corner, and I pull up a stool, and I sit next to Joe. And I just began to read and, and pray. And all the while, just some of, these, some of these things I'm reading audibly to Joe. He's just sleeping very, very deeply. And, and some of these things I read to myself and internally because I know if I get caught, I'm probably going to get in trouble. I know I'm not supposed to be there. But I wanted to be there for Joe. And after about an hour or so, it just became evident to me that it was time for me to go. So I grabbed my books and left the hospital undetected and walked across the city. Now, in the morning, I had a little while before work, and I had gotten up and got ready and just thought, well, I'll go check in on Joe again. So I grabbed everything and just, I needed for work, and I walked across the city again. And and when I arrived, there was not anyone at the front desk. (laughs) And I thought to myself, well, shoot, I know where to go. So I just pushed through those gray doors again and took a right and went up this long hallway. And when I got to the ICU, there was a woman there. And I could see that Joe was not there. And she turns and sees me and says, excuse me, what are you doing here? You're you're not supposed to be here. And I said where I said, oh, I'm sorry. I I, I was here to see Joe is, do you know where he is? And she said, oh, yes, yes. Actually, his family is here. I do. Let me take you to him. And she walks me down to a room and Joe is there. And I walk into the room and his family is there. His sister, Jill, is his brother, Vince, and their family's there. And I walk in the door and Vince goes, Lisa. Lisa, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Are Joey's alive. Are Joey's alive. Come in, come in. And I was thinking to myself, well, yeah, I know Joe's alive. I mean, I'm surprised. He's so surprised by that, but okay. And I see Joe and he's like, hi, Lisa. And I said, hi, Joe. He's trying to get my attention. And I walk over to Joe and he's telling me, he said, um, would you please tell them that I'm very thirsty? And I said, yes, Joe, I'll I'll get the nurse for you. And the nurse comes over and she has a cotton ball and she's swabbing water onto his tongue. And I turn and Joe says, or Joe, Vince, his brother says to me, is Joe speaking to you? Do you understand him? And I said, yeah, he's very thirsty. You don't understand him. And he said, no, no, I, I don't. I said, huh, interesting. Vince begins to tell me, he says, we're just all so thrilled. We're all so thrilled. He says, when we came to the hospital last night, the doctors told us that Joe had a massive stroke and that he would not survive through the night. And we called the family and we, we called his priest and the priest came and read him his last rites. We went home last night knowing that Joe might not survive and that we would, we would come to that news, you know, come, come to the hospital in the morning to the news that he would have passed. But, but he didn't. <laughs> and he's doing great. He's doing great. And, and honestly, he was doing great. He was able to go home. And I, I, was, I was thrilled to see that, but on my way out of the hospital that day, I was headed out to go back to work, I, I saw the nurse and I said, ma'am, may, may I ask you a question? And she said, sure. I said, um, there were four people in that ICU last night. May I just ask, where are they? And she said, huh, uh, interesting that you would ask. Um, all four of them are doing very well and two of them are going home right now, <laughs> which I thought was really wonderful. But I don't, I don't exactly know, you know, what all of that was about. I was thrilled to hear that there was um, improvement for everyone. But I will share that as I've sat, sat back and reflected on that time in the city that those openings that allowed me to come to the city and experience art school and all of that. Well, there was a blessing. There was a blessing in that for me to be there for Joe. But there was a blessing for Pat and Linda too, to be there for him and, and obviously for him as well. And, I look back and think to my, you know, think along the lines of understanding that following these little nudges or following that inner guidance to just go and do as I'm being led can lead to things unfolding in ways that are far greater than just me and can lead to blessings that bless more than just me.
1: It's a wonderful story. And I'm sure that everybody who's listening is can see that there's a thread there's a theme and it's the the physical healing and something that strikes me as you're sharing Lisa is that a message that I'm receiving as you're sharing is that what we might term miraculous uh, is evidenced in these physical healings that you've shared with us in these moments across the span of your life what we might term miraculous is actually the natural state and that when we tune into that inner guidance and the inner voice and turn to, to love, then we, we are allowing that miracle to unfold, what we call a miracle, but really it's, it's natural. And that perhaps our lives, our distractions, our egos, all of that creates a barrier to experiencing that natural state of, of health perhaps. Mm. Oh, it's so
0: true. It's so true. And it's funny when I think about it, you know, you know, miracles are regarded as something as so supernatural. But when you really look at it, I mean, life is absolutely filled to overflowing with miracles. I mean, honestly, water is one of the heaviest substances on earth. And yet our atmosphere lifts fresh water out of our oceans and carries it in the form of these clouds and, and leaves drops of water over our, our continents and, Beautiful. and it pro- provides moisture and it, and it is so miraculous our sun you know the leaves turn that very that very sun into the into photosynthesis and photosynthesizes that into energy and, and, and grows these these things right in front of our eyes and the world really is miraculous inherently and I, I do, I agree with you about that. And, and these miracles that can or seem to happen uh, in life are actually are far more natural if we really learn to understand that that is the, the aspect of life, the quality of life that we can grow to expect for ourselves, that we can be sustained in ways that are bigger than our own thoughts, bigger mm-hmm. than our own our own understanding. An example of that, if you don't mind me sharing, is my husband and I encountered a really challenging financial situation in our lives. And what I found, Green, is that in the face of intense, intense difficulty in this particular situation, there were no real solutions for us. And I can certainly share more details if there's time or if you like, but in this particular situation, there were no Obvious solutions. We had awakened to the news at a bank that had underwritten my father's project, a, cor- a company project that we had worked for for over fifteen years. A bank in New York City, a bank that we're all familiar with. We woke up to the news one morning during the two thousand eight, two thousand nine, the the recession, if you will, the oh, economic yes. recession, the housing market recession. We awoke to the news that that bank had gone bankrupt, and with that news. In spite of the fact that our company had pre-sold years of inventory and had an income stream that was very predictable and reliable, we couldn't sell another property and earn another dollar. And as we were carrying quite a bit of debt, we, were found, we found ourselves immediately in a situation where we literally, for the next six years, we would, we would owe more money every month than we would make all year combined. And it was an absolutely impossible time in our lives. And what happened for me, and we talk about these miracles, what happened for me during that period of time feels very miraculous. But what I found happening is that I utterly, being completely cornered, completely cornered, unable to support the weight of what was, we were carrying millions in debt, that I would—I became so clear that there would be a solution. And if there was a solution, and I knew there was, I didn't know what it was. And in order for that solution to unfurl month after month in front of our very eyes, year after year, I had to so completely surrender my own thoughts about how to approach the situation and my own educated understanding and all of the educated advice that we were receiving. We had to completely surrender that because none of that could do what we needed to do. I began a process uh, of, of radically relying on this inner quiet, still small voice, on this tiny guidance within, that voice, that nudge, that, that almost imperceptible suggestion within me. Before I would take a, mo- take a step or even move throughout my day, I would literally stop and say, take a deep breath and say, Father, look, I know. That there's a way through this, and I know that you know how to navigate this situation, but I don't. And I am just going to listen. I'm going to listen with everything I've got. Because everything that we have, our children, our, our, our savings, our lives, it all depends on this. We didn't want to file for bankruptcy, and we didn't want to sell our home. And unfortunately, not selling our home was not an option. That, that did need to sell. And the markets were all imploding around us. But I had a very, very dear friend who, who came to my home to help me. I was in such a state of duress during this period of time. She came to, to help me stretch and show me how to do yoga. I was literally not sleeping at night, and I, I couldn't eat. And it was such a brutal, brutal, frightening period of time. And she came to help teach me how to, how to breathe and how to relax. And we spent most of our time just speaking. But one of the things that my dear friend taught me, and she had learned this, she had learned this, this small thing that she taught me is the seed of the miracles that unfolded month after month, year after year. She said, honey, I, I want you to do something. I want you to try something that I've, I've learned and I've learned through my own teacher. Should I think that you need to really hear God and know that you're hearing God. And I believe that you can do this. You can learn this. And you can trust this. She said, I think, you know, she said, go to the grocery store. I want you to do something. Go to the grocery store. And she said, when you stand in front of the produce, for instance, if you know you need apples, stand in front of the apples. And she said, take a deep breath and close your eyes and just ask, Father, which one? And she said, and when you open your eyes, just trust that the apple that stands out to you is the one that you grab. And she said, and if you don't know, just grab an apple and move on, move over to the tomatoes and stop. Close your eyes, take a deep breath and pause and say, Father, which one? And learn to listen with everything you've got for that very small inclination, that idea that comes to you and take the one that stands out and move on. Well, we were in such, such, such intense need that I began adopting this idea of taking a deep breath, pausing and asking, Father, which way? At every single juncture in my life, (laughs) at Intersections, I might be driving, and I knew for a fact that I needed to go downtown to the right and and do a number of errands. But I would stop at this stop sign and take a deep breath and ask Father which way. And there would be days that I would hear and understand and know that I would need to go left and I would not know why. But what would unfold when I listened and when I just completely surrendered, what would unfold would be so utterly miraculous. Things would come together in ways that were so entirely out of sync in how I would have imagined it or or thought it through. And yet time after time after time, month after month, we would meet these obligations.
1: It's a a wonderful, wonderful story, this one, and... I know that what ended up happening is that you ended up paying back every single cent of all of those millions of dollars in debt that you owed, Lisa, and I love how you've shared with us the way that it began and I think you called it the seed and that is that teaching that your friend instilled in you and she's she's a genius because that method of choosing in even a situation as seemingly unimportant as which apples you're going to put in your basket that's training isn't it she's she trained you she helped you train yourself she she taught you how to train yourself and in that she did yeah and when you could do it in small things then when it came to the big things you knew what to do as well it's very clever
0: absolutely it's absolutely true and and literally yes we did after month after month we did pay back these these debts and we met every one of those needs and the stories really are amazing i mean they involve S- sending messages to clients in the most unprecedented of ways that and, and following guidance to get on airplanes and fly many states away to meet with people and and finding just these small, incredible, tiniest of opportunities through which we would thread the next amazing moment. Mm-hmm. But yes, month after month, we did repay those debts. But I'll share with you, and it's, it's quite interesting because my dear friend, she, she studies a lot of these Eastern philosophies. And yet the very thing that she was teaching me to do is also very prevalent in that phrase in the Bible, that be still. Mm-hmm. And no, I am. I think that's uh, Psalms, uh, Psalms 46.10. When I would stand in front of the apples and take that deep breath, I was being still. And knowing that there was an apple that would be drawn to my attention and that I would listen and I would ask and there would be an answer and I would follow it and move on quickly.
1: It's it's like you're building that muscle of trust and trust is a word that really stands out when I listen to your story as well. And I think I might have mentioned to you in some of our correspondence that your story reminds me in a sense of this uh, beautiful spiritual uh, community in Scotland called, I think it's called Findhorn. And the woman that established it there many decades ago now, and she's since passed away, her name's Eileen Caddy, she did the same thing as you. She would ask for guidance at every single little juncture. And what unfolded was this absolutely amazing community with a garden that flourished within the most inhospitable terrain, and the visitors would ended up coming, Lisa from far and wide to look at the vegetables because they were supersized. They were not <laughs> normal vegetables that were growing. Like you can look this up and you can see the photos online. It's an amazing story, and I've read Eileen's memoir, and that's how I know that her story reminds me of yours. In that she too tuned in, and from it grew this incredible community that continues to to flourish today. So I love that. I oh, love, I love that, that example of where we, what can happen, what we can build in this life when we do tune into an alternative, because it is an alternative voice, because it tells you to do things that are often very contrary. To what our logic and our ego would say is right. Give you a small
0: example because, um, and, and, and I'm familiar with Finhorn, Finehorn. I'm yes. Familiar. I don't know how you pronounce I can't it. Wait sorry. to look that up. <laughs> no, I can't wait to look that up. It sounds. I, I know of this, and I'd love to visit that that area. But I'll share with you. You know, having gone through these experiences and radically relying on just that small, small, small still voice, and and really asking. And in fact, if you, I, I did this in this story with the incident of the motorcyclist and. And have used this even presently today. I Just, just the other day, I was uh, having a lovely lunch with friends and said goodbye to them. And as I was hopping my car to head and run one errand and head home, and I knew I needed to do that. I just paused and said, okay, oh, uh, what, what next? You know, What have you got for me? And it, the interesting thing this time, Karina, is that I was led to sit still in my car. And it's the funniest thing because my mind, you know, I I would kind of be still and I'd wait and I'm listening and I'm not really hearing anything. I know I need to run this errand. And I'd listen. A little time would go by and I would think, gosh, why am I just sitting here? Hmm. Okay. All right, Father, you know, what next? And I'd pause. I'm very, very quiet. And And a total of 20 minutes went by. 20 minutes. And then, boom, go see Linda. I said, okay okay, sure. That was the stop that I had on my way home. Sure. Why did I wait 20 minutes? I don't know. Drove over. I ran into a, 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 a building. and was talking to a woman, uh, whose name is Linda Friend. And as we were talking, a young girl walked in to the museum. She, she works in this museum. A young girl walked in and, and Linda introduced us. And out of absolutely nowhere, you know, I just asked her, what do you do? And she said, she used she was studying to be a like a museum director. I said, oh, that's interesting. Gosh, I'd love to have you t- give me a tour through, you know, art and art history someday. We began talking and just absolutely out of nowhere, I made a reference to uh, a display of artwork that I'd seen. And I made a reference to a movie that it reminded me of. And as soon as I said the movie out loud, this young girl gasped and tears flushed her eyes. And she sat down and she just looked at me and she said, I think you need to keep talking. I said, Okay. And I kept talking and she began to weep. And as I continued to talk and and we began to kind of narrow down thoughts and things and our conversation became very spiritual, she confided and said that her mother had just passed. And in fact, her mother passed because the hospital denied her treatment because she was not vaccinated. And this young girl has a younger sister who's 19 and pregnant, not married, and an older brother who's autistic and she's been left alone because of this. And I just kept speaking and sharing stories with her and speaking and sharing stories with her, stories of, of trusting guidance and stories of, 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 of knowing that there's a path and stories of being held in love, God's love. And two hours went by and we just stayed with her and we just held her in conversation and held her in love and held her in thought. And she stood up and she said, you know, I have lost my faith in all things, and this is the hardest time of my life. She said, I'm, I don't always know how to do this, 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 these jobs, these things that I'm being asked to do. She said, but I, I believe, I, I, have a, I feel something now. I feel something now. I feel a sense of hope, and I know that there is something that's within us, that, that guides us and speaks to us and loves us. I can know that now, and I just need to thank you. And I've stayed in touch with her. Linda and I are both uh, both staying in touch with her. We reach out each time and we are there. But she has a beautiful network of her mother's friends who have also circled around her as well. But I would not have intercepted her had I gone straight to see Linda from lunch. Had I gone there, I would have been in and out with a quick hello and would have never met this young girl. But I was asked, not asked, I waited in my car and there was no guidance it was the absence of it was silence and I was quite still and every so often I'd stop and ask again and there'd be nothing and I'd wait and then I'd ask again and it was like yes go see Linda and I did.
1: It is wonderful and you you were able to instill hope in that young woman who so sorely needed it in that moment and that is what our stories and sharing our stories does and that's why I do this on the show and I'm so grateful to guests like you Lisa who come on and share these stories that are infused with hope, and that's what they offer. And as we come to the end of our conversation now, I'm wondering, speaking of stories that offer hope, there's a beautiful story that really ties our conversation together th- today, and I'd love if you could share it. And it is a story of hope that your father shared with you, and he he's such a key person in making you the the person you are today, and this story is absolutely beautiful and I was wondering if, as we close today, you could share it.
0: I'd love to. And I'm going to share one more thing after that it's brief, yes. but they both tie together. Please. They both tie together. Yeah. So, yeah, I will share the story. And um, <laughs> it's it's really kind of a remarkable story, but I shared with you that I'm from a small town and grew up on a ranch in Montana. And my father was is very much a man's man, was very much a man's man. He's passed. In fact, I'll share with you that, I know in my heart that that man had that his heart broke. When when that bank that underwrote his project went bankrupt, he too was thrown into quite a situation for years and years and years. And that bank stood behind the shield of bankruptcy law and was able to uh, strip him of all his assets. And his life uh, was very changed by that experience. I believe his heart broke, and I do believe that's why we lost him, Mm -hmm. which was... Really, really untimely. He was young and such a beautiful soul, but I'll tell you, I feel very connected to him. But my father, growing up in the 70s in, in Montana, he was an archer. He was a remarkable archer, and he would hunt for the very food that we ate. We, we, he made very little income as a hired hand on this ranch, and we moved cattle, and he worked the fields, but the, the fees were not terribly high, and so we would, he would hunt for our food. But he's a very gifted, gifted archer, and he loved this land, this land that would eventually be the land that he would own with this project, this, this resort company that I've referred to. This land would be a part of that. Now, he, would, he was spending time one, one fall up in the mountains, and he told me a story that, frankly, I didn't realize until he passed that I was one of the few people that knew the story. But I believe that he shared the story with me because I was a, kind of a spiritual little kid and I I really resonated with these with the understanding. But he told me, he said, Lise, I was up in the mountains, and he said, um, gosh, it was just absolutely spectacular. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. He'd been hiking through the timber and thick, thick timber, and he came out into an opening with this expanse of meadow that was just lined with trees, and the the peaks towered above the tree line, and the sky was as blue as bluebird blue, and the clouds were crisp and white, and he shared with me you know the clouds were moving through the sky, and he could feel the shade of the clouds as that moved over him, and then immediately the sun would warm his shoulders and and there there was a stream, a small stream in this meadow, and it was the kind of day that the earth was warm, and he could smell the earth, he could smell the grasses and the soil, and hear this water, and he said he just felt that this was absolutely spectacular day it was just stilling and he sat down next to the stream and he he set his heavy pack down in his bow and he began splashing water on his face and just taking in the the, the warm breezes and the, the scents and the, the just the how beautiful the day was and he said uh, he's looking around and taking it all in and he notices right in front of him there's this little white butterfly tiny little white butterfly We well, you see them They're little meadow butterflies. You see them from time to time. They just kind of cruise through the meadows. But this particular butterfly was right in front of him, and it was on a blade of grass, and it was struggling intensely to fly from grass to grass. As he studied, he realized that the entire lower quadrant of one of its wings had been torn badly and was hanging just by a thread. So as the butterfly would try to fly, its one wing was intact, but the other wing, this, this, this segment would just dangle. And it could barely, barely get any loft at all. And it would come down onto another blade of grass. <laughs> and he's sitting there watching this butterfly, thinking to himself, Hang on a minute. <laughs> you know, I, I'm having this absolutely incredible moment. It's the most heavenly environment. This day is just perfect. How is it that I'm witnessing this tiny little butterfly that is struggling? <laughs> How can this be? And he says as he's having this conscious thought, realizing, geez, how is it even possible? He says it it comes to his thought immediately that the only place that this struggling butterfly exists, and he looks to his left and he looks to his right, and he's clearly the only one here. The only place that this this struggling butterfly exists is in his own consciousness. And he goes, huh, well, gosh, if that's... And he closes his eyes. And he tells me, he says, I just sat there for a moment. And I thought, well, I am not going to see anything but a perfect and whole butterfly. And he just took just a moment to see that butterfly intact. And he said, when I opened my eyes, Lise, he just went, whoa. And he fell back on his hands. And he stopped. And he looks at this butterfly. And he gets all the way up close. And he practically puts his nose right up, right up close to it. And he can see that the butterfly's wings are perfectly intact. And it's opening them and closing them. They're just absolutely perfect and whole. And in just a short while, the butterfly flies off with no struggle at all, completely fine, unfettered. And I remember saying to my dad, I was much younger then, and I said, Dad, do you think you fixed that broken butterfly? And he said, no. He said, honey, that butterfly was always perfect. It just took me a moment to realize it. And when I think about that story, Krina. I realize that there's a similarity in that story to the story with a man on the Harley, on the highway. I
1: find something there, powerful. Definitely, that's why I wanted to close with it because I thought it's almost like bringing our conversation full circle. And I wonder when, how soon it struck you after the incident with the man on the motorcycle, this correlation between that story, that experience, and your father's story. Well,
0: only just a month ago, and I shared it with Lee. Uh, The accident was nearly 15 years ago. The butterfly was decades and decades Mm. ago. But I'll share, it is, you know, actually putting conscientious words to it and seeing the overlap, sure, just about a month ago. But the underlying understanding, that inherent peace, you know, I knew my father was not sharing anything but the the truth of what he had experienced. And it was so mind-blowing to him, it was stunning. And yet that stays with you, you know stays with me to go, okay, then I see, and you know certainly being with this man on the road, knowing that he he is surrounded in love and and turning to God and just letting the love come through and listening and allowing those words to come through, and that love that sense to pour through or or being in in the city and and following. The joy of just walking through the most beautiful Mm. neighbourhoods knowing that someone would approach me and tell me of something, you know, just knowing.
1: And, you know, listening to you share, and I'm sure that my audience is thinking the same thing, you've got such a beautiful way of telling the stories. I'm wondering, are you thinking of writing a book or what do you have in mind in terms of continuing to share these beautiful, life-affirming experiences?
0: Thank you for asking me that. It's sweet that you've asked me to be on your podcast. And honestly, I love sharing these stories, but I had kind of an interesting thing happen the other night. I, don't, I was awakened in the middle of the night. Why am I not I, surprised
1: to hear this? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Well, and and I, I sat up in bed and, and uh, I, was, I grabbed a journal and a pen. And the idea it just was clear to just start jotting a word or two or three to identify and remind myself of stories stories from a very, very small child, stories of shared death experiences, stories of mystical experiences, stories of profound instantaneous healings, stories of hearing voices and guidance. And I ended up writing, Karina, until dawn. I was up at three in the morning and I wrote until dawn. And there are 20 pages of bullets of things that I'd love to share. And, and honestly, they're not stories about me. These are stories about that still small voice and trust and the profound power of love, the profound power of love. And as I sit down and I look at these, I think, okay, fine. <laughs> you know, all right, I actually need a little help writing. I like telling them. It's a lot easier to tell them than it is to write them for me. But I do love to write, so I will be writing and sharing these things. But I've just been so grateful. There's been so many just, oh, I've just been so encouraged internally. I've had all of these really strong nudges to start sharing these stories and just kind of dove in and just got past all of my reservations to just share these things with an audience online and in these podcasts. And yours is now, I believe, the fourth in just a couple of months. So this is all very new to me. And I'm really, really grateful to have this opportunity, but I do hope to write all of these down and in fact i have spent time even today doing that
1: i'm so So, happy to hear that
0: yeah thank you
1: well lisa we are just about at the end what message would you like the audience to take away with them today from our conversation one thing
0: that i would say and i'll try to keep this brief is that we are given in this life physical senses and these physical senses are such a gift but they are by definition quite limited you can only see so far. You can only smell so far, you can only taste so much, you can only feel so far. But there is a there is an internal knowing, an internal sense that exists within all of us and it connects all of us. And honestly, that's the peace, that conscious peace that ties us in a timeless way to something much bigger and much more true than what our physical senses will testify or see or witness. And we become very prone to just relying only on our five physical senses. And I'm here to tell you that when I have surrendered that and turned myself over to knowing that that higher sense of who we are, that eternal sense of who we are, that never born, never dying sense of who we truly are as an expressive expression of, of love or spirit or the divine, as I surrender to that, what unfolds even on a daily basis for me is so beautiful and so rich and so much bigger than just me or anything that I could have thought to do on my own. It's precise and it's big and it's sustaining and it's real. And the last thing that I'll share with you is that it's interesting because one of the experiences that was most profound and most shaping in my life is after my dad had passed. And I was so mad at God. I was so furious. And as I was getting ready to get in the shower, I literally made fists and I just yelled at God. I just clenched my fists and I just yelled with everything I had to God. I just said, God, I don't know what's real anymore. I don't know what's real. I had prayed with everything I had that my dad wouldn't pass. And I had known within me that all of these experiences we had, that there was a path for him to survive. And yet he didn't survive, and he passed. And as I am screaming with everything I have to God to say, I don't know what's real anymore, I'm not expecting a response. But I hear, I hear so audibly the words, Only the love is real. Only the love is real. And I sat down, and the words were so So powerful and silent and within and and impactful. It it silenced every thought within me. It was so true. And I have sat with those words, Karina, as we live this life, as I live each day. It's the love that is real. That's what we take with us. And that's what connects me to my father. And honestly, the story is with him. (laughs) They're phenomenal. Since his passing, I have some good ones and maybe someday I'll share, but it makes much more sense to me now. But I can honestly say that voice that speaks within all of us, that voice when we turn away from those things that we've been taught to rely on our own educated minds and our own thoughts. When we surrender to that higher truth, that profound, profound, unconditional love that cares for every blade of grass by gently sweeping water from the oceans and carrying it across our continents. And it cares for every one of us just the same. And I've relied on it in every aspect of my life. So
1: that's Thank what you. I believe in. Thank you, Lisa. That is just an absolutely beautiful way to end today. And uh, I, I'm i sure that I, I'm i not the only one to say this who's listening, but I feel very nourished, I feel uplifted, and I just feel very grateful that you've come on the show today to share your enchanting stories and I will absolutely have you back on the show if you're willing at some point later this year to hear (laughs) more about those other mystical stories that you've touched on, your beautiful, enduring connection of love with your dad. And yes, any other stories that you'd love to share. It would be a pleasure. Thank you, Lisa. Oh,
0: well, it's just (laughs) as nourishing for me. Thank you. I love having the opportunity
1: to share. So honestly, thank you so much. I'm very grateful. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review the show. Have an experience you'd like to share with me? Get in touch at my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story.